When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We're back, and this is episode 108, Plugins. I'm Matt, that's Mike, and this week we'll be discussing, you guessed it, plugins. Then later we'll be... Then later we'll discuss yet another Apple App Store story in our web news. Now, if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go and check us out on that Patreon. Leave a review or rating on your podcast app. Join us on our Discord server or share this with your friends. And now it's time for our weekly pain points. So, Mike, please take it away. Okay, so I went in and uh, fixed my mouse. I actually bought, like, little switches for my mouse like separate micro switches. switches micro switches for whatever like uh off of ebay or something like that uh, or aliexpress actually i think they were like two dollars for like 10. um and because my mouse was double clicking so every time i clicked every like every 10th time i clicked it would double click which was driving me crazy it would like minimize my windows or like make them small when and I would one, on one time it would like delete your data like the yeah, one for time sure. yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, there was a lot of like little side effects that you would never know that could do but it can like double clicking can screw up a lot of things um so it was driving me crazy got that unsoldered those things because i actually have to you have to actually solder them solder them back in which took like forever because i suck at soldering now i mean i was never really that good but like i'm even worse now and i think my soldering iron is kind of crap because it took like a minute to desolder something is it the same one we used in college no it's like my like it's a it's a weird one it's not the same one that we used in college i don't think maybe it is i don't know i don't know if you remember mine mine's like a gun shaped one yeah it, okay it was it, we, we used it in college but we ended up using mine because i yeah, mine like not a cheap very one. good yeah i need to if i solder again i'm gonna spend like a little bit of money and get a proper soldering kit um because yeah that one was a nightmare so anyway but it works and i'm proud of myself super proud that i managed to fix my mouse i would have just uh, bought another mouse like i'm i'm at i'm, I'm at that absolutely. consumer step where i'm like i'm so consumerized that i'm like oh i'll just get a warranty so that i don't have to deal with this <laughs> absolutely i mean i have other mice and they're all wired this one is wireless and it's a nice wireless one that has like zero latency it's a lot oh it's your good one it's your good it's my one good wireless logitech gaming mouse that's like supposed to be you know the same exact latency as a regular wired one if not better so that's why i really liked it and this one it had that issue anyway i got a new switch that's not the same switch so it shouldn't happen again and if i if it does i'll i can replace all the switches like 15 times because i got like 10 of them um but now i can I think replace my them 15 times because i have 10 of them yes <laughs> i have like 10 switches that's i know that math doesn't add up but shut up that's it my math my math skills are gone anyway same as my soldering skills. Uh, <laughs> but I, th- I think my keyboard is having the same issue now too, which is weird. So I, is it I, the I, wireless I was, part of it? Maybe I don't know, or just or just the switches part of it because it's using its own like Logitech Roamer switches. And whenever I when I was typing up the show notes today, uh, I was getting a bunch of double like letters. So I have to keep going back and deleting double letters. So I don't, I'll look into that later. Um, I'm not going to resolder keyboard switches. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. But uh, 
hopefully maybe I can just change a setting or something. Maybe it's polling too much. I don't know. I was going to say, just make sure you do it in a local word processor because it could be the cloud. Also possible. Yeah. God knows. Yeah. Who knows if there's a delay, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what I was dealing with. What about you, Matt? Uh, So we're, well, not, I guess it's not a pain point. It's kind of an exciting point, kind of a whatever, but uh, I'm looking at, well, I am planning a new home theater setup. So uh, we, there's a, there's a, a TV brand I like, Samsung, but specifically their The Frame series. And I actually saw them demo it close to its release or maybe a little before their release in Toronto uh, when it when it was invented or when it came to be. And I was always super into it. Like, I just really liked the idea of the, the, the screen always being on and there being an art piece there or whatever. And so I'm at the point now where I've had my TV, still works good, but I've, I've had my TV where... Uh, it's been so long that I was telling Mike it was sold alongside like the options were buy a plasma TV, buy this LCD, which is what I bought, or you could even buy projection or tube. So I bought it like right at the transition phase from HD to SD and or SD to HD. Sorry. And so like, TV is still really good. Like it was a really good TV at the time. It has tons of inputs. Like it has like 10 inputs total across the standard def and the whatever it even has those inputs for the, the interim HD. So the ones where it's like, component. it's not, it's not, yeah, component. Yeah. It has the component that has a few of those. So it has tons of inputs. So like I bought a really good TV for the time. It still works and everything, but um, I'm looking at possibly upgrading that. And because I need to upgrade that, I would need to upgrade my, uh, like to 4k, I would need to upgrade my sound system, which requires new HDMI cables. But then I'm also going to be upgrading my, consoles so the consoles are the driving force between this i'm going to buy the ps5 xbox series x probably the xbox is an iffy one the playstation 5 for sure um i know i'm a microsoft guy and you're probably wondering why i'm saying that but it's just because i also have xcloud and stuff so i just i need to see the situation um so yeah so i'm just kind of planning it now we mike and i were discussing it because there's a sale on the frame right now but uh I want, I need to plan everything first. Cause there's just a lot involved. So I need to plan everything, get it all done and then just have fun with it and, you know, pick stuff up and pick stuff up as I go and put it all together because everything's working. It's not like, Oh my God, I have no TV. So, but yeah, uh, I'm going to knock on wood after saying that. And uh, yeah, but yeah, so that, that's my situation. Not really a pain point, more like a bit of an exciting point. And uh, I like planning stuff like that. So yeah, but uh, this is a, we- uh, a, 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 oh, this is a week heavy episode, Mike. <laughs> This is a mic heavy episode this week. So please, sir, take it away. All right. So let's uh, talk plugins. Uh, I know a few weeks ago we did an episode on frameworks, I think. And we mentioned plugins a little bit there. And I was I was going to say, like, we should really do a deep dive into plugins. So this is that deep dive into plugins. Um, segment number one, what are plugins? So just a quick short definition. Plugins are additions that you can add to your code base that simplify or perform certain actions. Um, This is kind of my own definition of a plugin because everyone has their own interpretation of what a framework is, of what a plugin is. And I I haven't found like a a concise, you know, agreement among all developers that know what one, one is and what isn't. But for me, a plugin is just something that's meant to help you do a task but it's a single task usually. So for instance, something like, you know, show uh, a light box on your website, a really simple one would be a light box or a slider on your website that can be done in a plugin because that's all it's doing really. It's just showing and hiding a light box that it, that it already has prepackaged with some options and configuration that you can add to it depending on your, on your task. 
Um, something like autocomplete. So just a singular, singular task of autocomplete. You give it an array of stuff, an array of strings. And when someone starts typing into a text box, it will drop down a menu with all of the things that re are related to something that they're typing. Uh, if it's, you know, countries and you type in CA, it's going to, you know, autocomplete you with Canada or whatever other CA countries there are. Um, so really, so something like that is what I consider a plugin. Uh, a framework, on the other hand, is something that kind of rewires a whole system. So for instance, Vue.js will give you a whole templating framework and all their state management stuff and state, like it's a, it's a bigger undertaking. It kind of it kind of changes the way you code usually. So in a, in, that's why I consider Tailwind a framework as well, because uh, it changes the way you write CSS across the board over all of your, your entire application. Whereas a plugin will just change one singular feature. And usually when you implement it, it works, you forget about it and you move on to the rest of the stuff. Let me ask you a question um, right there. Then yep. let me ask you, let me ask you this. So where does WordPress fit into this? Because okay. it uses like a bunch of, obviously you need to, have certain syntax well no actually no so you're using php syntax but as like a wordpress developer if you're a person that does touch the php like if you're at that level uh, of the software then you are using commands that are common all the time so like where is the line of like wordpress is using php but it's not a framework you know what i mean so like where's that line like maybe a bit of an explanation on that so I think P uh, WordPress is absolutely a framework because it requires you to structure your PHP in a way that WordPress will understand it. So okay. a framework doesn't have to necessarily change the way, like change the code or the the language that you write because Vue.js is the same way, right? You have to you have to structure your JavaScript. It's still just pure JavaScript in a way that Vue.js will understand it. So it's the okay. same thing as WordPress is for PHP. So for WordPress is a framework, but Having brought that up, WordPress also has its own plugin system, right? So it's a great example of a system that benefits from plugins. So a lot of the time, a framework will actually have plugins you can add to it. And that's another differentiation between a framework and a plugin. Whereas a plug, like there's not many examples that I can think of off the top of my head where a plugin will have another like plugin that you can add to it. I'm sure there's examples of that. Like I'm sure that that exists, but it's a lot less common than a framework having a plugin. So that's another way you can differentiate. And just to build on that stuff that uses plugins in our day-to-day -day lives for uh, web development is stuff like um, Webpack, uh, stuff like frameworks like React or Vue or, the, or their respective CLIs, like Vue CLI will have its own plugins, whereas Vue will have plugins as well. And uh, they're kind of installed and used a little bit differently, but they're still doing kind of similar things. Uh, and WordPress is another one where you would have plugins. And any other large CMS will probably, uh, like Joomla or something, I'm sure Joomla has plugins and stuff like that. But And, and, and to bring it into the, the Webflowverse, just a, a brief comment, but to bring it into the Webflowverse, like a plugin can be kind of easily distinguished in Webflow because Webflow kind of handles most of the stuff for you, assuming you're using their full suite, like their CMS and, and the whole bit uh, and their hosting and all that. But like you would bring in a plugin, like a third-party plugin by using typically like a custom HTML embed element or whatever, uh, or whatever Webflow calls it. And then you would, that's, a, you're plugging it into Webflow effectively. So there isn't like a plugin market per se, like WordPress, not similar to that way, but there are certain things like, like, for example, Webflow quote unquote officially supports live chat, which is obviously a live chatting thing. And so live chat is a plugin because it only does live chat. It doesn't go and mess with my nav bar and my layout. It's just a live chat plugin. Yep. That's a clear distinction. 
Exactly. And, and that brings it off to the next point that I have here, which is some plugins allow you to support third-party services like live chat or like payment processing, like a payment processing plugin. Like a Stripe, like Stripe. plugin or something. Exactly. So a lot of the times, again, it's still a plugin, but it's it's accessing other servers. It's not exactly locally contained. So it's still a plugin in my eyes. It's not a framework, obviously. Uh, but that's those are the kinds of things that you would see in a typical plugin. Um, and here's some examples of plugins that we I've used personally or have seen and have thought about using in like a Vue.js project more than anything. Uh, and a, a lot of the times that I'll be talking, a lot of the plugins and the technologies that I'll be talking about will be related to the Vue.js because that's just something that I've been using all the time nowadays. Um, but obviously they can be used in other systems or other frameworks or other other languages even. Um, but essentially pagination is an example of something that you could use a plugin for. Now, should you or, uh, you know, should you or should you not? That's something we'll talk about in one of the next segments. But it is something that is, allows you, like pagination plugins are out there that give you easy ways of achieving the, you know, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, dot, 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 dot system where you can go through your page, your uh your UI and make it so that you're not displaying everything. So you're paginating it. Um, animation. There's a lot of plugins that help you with animation. Uh, so allowing you to write easier, like write transitions a little bit easier or write actual animations, you know, from like, you know, a point going from the left side to the right side of the screen or something like that. Uh, lazy loading is one. So that allows you to kind of show a page quickly and then have all of the images load in after the page actually loads. So after DOM content loaded. Uh, so you see those like blurred squares and stuff like that. And then the, like the, the, maybe the colored backgrounds of the images show up first. So that all can be done through a lazy loading plugin. You don't have to build it yourself, but there are certain, there are certain positives and negatives of that, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, preloading. So if you want to have like a, if you have a lot of images, uh, if you're on a, on a page that are loaded, that need to be loaded before you actually get to that page so that nothing pops in. You can do preloading. That's a plug. There's a plugins for that many, uh, scrolling. So if you want to, you know, animate your scrolling. So you get on a page, you click get started and animate your scrolling down with like a nice smooth animation plugins for that blurring an image. So if you want to have like a nice blur in the background, uh, again, you can do that through CSS, but there are plugins that help you facilitate the style of blur, how easy it is to blur and stuff like that. Lightboxes, we talked about that. Autocompletes, we've talked about that. So those are just like a few examples of what plugins can do. There's many, many others. Like we were talking about third party uh, before. There's tons and tons of cases where you would, you would actually put plugins in. Um, they also, one, one big thing with plugins is they, they can simplify complex concepts for you. So for instance, um, there's an Axios plugin in, uh, I believe in any, you can add it to any NPM or node or, uh, you know, package-based system. And what it allows you to do is essentially it, it up, up abstracts the XHR request that you would write to the HTTP request that you would write and gives you a really easy interface to write them and get the promises back for like get or post requests and then get the promise with the dot then. It's just a, it just makes something that takes a few extra lines a little bit easier for you. That's all that that's all those kinds of plugins do, but there's many examples of those kinds of things where they just take an already done JavaScript concept and make it easier for you to implement it. So with that being said, I think let's move on to the next segment here, segment number two, how we use plugins. 
Uh, so this is going to be kind of like a big segment where we're going to talk about how we use them, um, maybe specific cases where plugins aren't the, like when we wouldn't use plugins or when to kind of, you know, choose to use a plugin or not and stuff like that. So having said that, let's get right to it. Plugins are usually important when you've got a small team and tight timelines. I'm sure a lot of people have experienced this if they've worked in the industry or if you're a contractor or a freelancer, you just have these situations where you have like two weeks to get something done or three weeks to get something done. And there's a bunch of features that they want that the customer wants. And there's just no way that you, you know, out of the list of 20 features that you have to build out, there's just no way you can custom build all those features. So you've got to go through and decide which of those features you will have to build out because sometimes you don't have a choice if it's a very specific feature and which of those features you can go and start looking for plugins. Um, and stuff like that. So those are the kinds of decisions you'll have to make when you get into the industry. Uh, and I know a lot of people are very, I don't know if it's elitist or like they keep their code close to the heart saying that like, you know, thinking that everything that they write is perfect and everything that everyone else writes is not perfect. And they worry that, you know, using a plugin might ruin everything. Not that that can't happen, but you, when you're in the industry and when you actually have deadlines that's something that kind of logic will will actually delay you and hinder you more than anything else. So you have to be open to getting help from already created solutions. Like that's just part of being a developer. Period. Well, it's also it's also a normal thing too. Like for example, we're not all going out and getting our water from the stream and then boiling it and doing stuff like that. I mean, some of us might be doing that, but in general, you're using like the the tap or whatever, right? Uh, you're not going out and getting the rubber for your tires and refining it to make tires, let alone the whole car, you know? So this, this is very well, very much a, a similar thing. If, if, if you think about it, it, it's the clash actually between the developer, which is a creator and a, and a, uh, an engineer, if you will, where an engineer generally engineers a solution with pre-made things. Engineers don't, generally go in and do the scientific research to figure out the new metal that they could potentially build. An engineer will use the metal available on the market to build a solution for whatever is at hand, a new staircase or something. They don't go and go, well, we let's let's see if we can get even even lighter metal. Maybe they there is obviously some crossover here and there and I'm sure engineers have done that, but in general engineers use the parts in front of them to come up with a solution. Whereas a developer kind of, I guess, feels more like a creator and it feels weird to do creating and engineering, if that makes sense. And that's why there are, that's why there is like the title software engineer, because you are technically using a bunch of code snippets from various pieces and whether they're plugins or just snippets you found to put something together. Like someone else has done a light box, you know, someone else has done that. So I think that's the clash where there's there's merit to their their thing where if you control absolutely everything then you know exactly generally where to go when there's a bug fix. You know exactly who worked on it at least, right? You know exactly that type of stuff. And there are times where something that is seemingly completely unrelated goes down especially in a cloud service like a web app of some sort. Like uh for example, we had a problem where a client couldn't uh, embed stuff in one of their Webflow sites. And it was 
we were like, well, is this Webflow? Is this my site? So I was screwing around with it, couldn't get it to work. I couldn't get it to work at all. Then you go to the forums, the forums are trying to figure it out. And it comes, it comes to be that a third party service that is partnered with Webflow had a problem. You, like, do you see the, the chain in which like Webflow doesn't control this third party service, this third party service doesn't control Webflow. And so there is those problems, but then Webflow doesn't have the time, if you think of it, to spend all that time building something that a company is doing full time. They can't just mess around with embedding for literal years when they have so much else on their plate. And so they're using a pre-made solution. There was a problem once, it wasn't a problem again, and, and then all is well. But you could say that that situation could have been curbed. You know, it could have been, it could have been changed. It could have not happened even. So there, there's merit to both points, but I'm telling you right now, I'm not building my own car. I didn't build this mouse. You know, I didn't go and build my phone. I didn't engine. I didn't go and get sand to make the silicon for the board of the phone. Like, it, you know what I mean? Like it, it, there comes a point when it's like, you just need to use a plugin or a pre-made thing because you're just reinventing the wheel over and over again. We use tech, our technology to get almost philosophical with it. Our technology builds upon one another. We don't, constantly go back and go like, well, let's learn Windows NT. Let's learn binary again. There are certain classes that introduce you to that. And we, we took those classes, of course, Mike, but we learned that to understand it. And then you move on and you go to the more modern stuff and you learn the more modern stuff to a higher degree with more volume, like just more classes and more projects. You don't sit there and go like binary, what's that? And then you learn, you know, you're, we're not we're not doing, we're not constantly going back to the beginning. Otherwise we'd have 1800s cars and we'd wind them up. You know, it's ridiculous. Yep, exactly. Um, yeah, so a lot of, th like, I, I think the, the really difficult part, because you brought up really good points, uh, is that like middle ground. Like when, how do you decide to use a plugin? And I think every developer has their own way of approaching it. The way I approach it is, um, well, now with experience, it's a little bit easier for me because I know what plugins exist and I know what can be plugged, like what can be a plugin and what can't. But before, uh, when I was first starting out, it was like a time thing. When I see something that I've never done before, uh, for instance, like autocomplete or preloading images or something like that, I've never done it before. If I see it, uh, I've never done it before. And I'm like, okay, it's probably going to take me like around eight hours to figure it out completely to be able to get it from zero to, to be, you know, production ready. I'll be like, okay, it's probably worth it for me to do a quick Google search to see if there's a plugin for the technology that I'm using. For instance, like autocomplete view, that'll be my Google search literally. And usually a big portion of the time, multiple plugins will come up and then you have to kind of vet which plugin you want to use, or if you want to use a plugin at all, et cetera, et cetera. And we'll talk about that in segment three, vetting plugins. How do you actually choose between multiple different ones? Um, but regardless, like you usually have a choice. That That's how all, a lot of these solutions work. When it's not a choice, when it's like there's only one plugin, you should really consider building it yourself at that point. Because if there's only one plugin that's doing the thing, unless it's a very well-known plugin and no one wants to you know, compete with them, I can't give you an example right now. Maybe the Featherlight example. Like Featherlight was a really good light box. And I don't, there's probably a million different light box plugins. So that's probably not a good one. But regardless, if you find it that there's only one plugin and there's a lot of reasons for you not to use it, you know, that's when you start to think like, okay, sh should I build my own or not? But for a lot of the time, 
you want to, for complex features, you want to kind of build on an already existing solution. It's just going to be part of your development process. Now, that can get out of hand really quickly. And I only have to mention WordPress for everyone to be like, oh, yeah, that's right. You can't use yeah, plugins for every little time. thing. Real big yeah. time. Real big time. Like if you've ever worked on a WordPress, uh, a WordPress system, um, you're going to need, you know that plugins can be a bad thing. Because a lot of the times plugins are doing way more than just fo- like fixing your solution. So usually people make general purpose plugins that can do a lot. So if it's something like, you know, a, a light box, it's not only going to be a light box, it's going to be a light box with a million different options, like how fast it opens, how fast it closes, how how big it is, how small it is, how what colors there are you can configure, what uh, how it works on mobile. Like there's like a million different things that you can. It's kind of a rabbit hole when you're trying to make a general purpose plugin, and inevitably you're going to be over engineering a solution for someone that just needs something to pop up and like open and close. So there's a lot of times when if there's something that you can build really quickly, even if there is a plugin, it is worthwhile to build it quickly. For instance, for me personally. At this point, when, I, when I'm coding in Vue, a Lightbox doesn't require me to use a plugin because I can build it in like an hour or 30 minutes to do exactly what I needed to do is open and close and be responsive. That's it. So for me, when it's something that simple, something that I know that I can do really quickly, I will opt to write it myself. But as soon as the complexity exceeds that, I would rather reach for a plugin. Now, I do limit myself a little bit on this part, and I didn't mention this before. Uh, but if I have like a, you know, a big project and all of a sudden my initialization sheet and my plugin sheet is like, you know, five to 10 plugins deep, I start to think about refactoring. So initially, you know, you want to get your code out there as quickly as possible, as quickly as possible. And that's fine. But as soon as you go back and you're like initializing 10 different plugins for a, a web, like even if it's a web app and has some complex functionality, I would consider going back and thinking like, okay, what can we come back to and do ourselves so that we're not relying on someone else's code. Because again, like Matt was saying, it is that balance. It is that, uh, that thing where like, if you do rely on someone else's code and they push an update or they didn't think of something that like, uh, that could be a problem and is a problem, then it could break, it could break and it could cause a massive issue down the line, or it cannot cause a massive issue to a bunch of different customers. It can cause serious issues. Uh, and it's something that you don't control and you don't know, so you can't really fix on the spot. If someone calls you because their autocomplete isn't working and you use the autocomplete plugin, you're kind of like, okay, I guess I'll reach out to the autocomplete developer and I'll get back to you in two or three weeks. Like that's that's the reality of it in a lot of times for plugin development. And, we, and we've had that we've had that with clients with WordPress, where um, <clears throat> and changing details here, but just for security purpose, but like we've had, we've had problems with specifically like payment with payment plugins. And we've, we've reached out to the, the plugin. So here, here's, here's a, here's a bit of a, a crazy thing. So the payment vendor, again, changing details, the payment vendor that was handling the payments was one company. The plugin was made by partnering or maybe using their API. I'm not sure. Cause I'm not the person that made the plugin, but the plugin was made by another company that plugged into WordPress. So now we got WordPress, a third-party developer, a third-party from the, from the payment vendor, the person that's handling the payments. So now we got this problem where, so then I call the vendor, the vendor doesn't think there's any problem. So then I go to the, to the, to the developer, 
the develop and, and admittedly, like everyone was answering his stuff, so it was handled. But so the the developer starts answering, and they they say, yeah, there's a problem, whatever. They were nice enough to help me out quite a bit. Still didn't work out. And then the vendor, the higher escalated support because I got escalated at the vendor level. The escalated support lets us know that they were actually having trouble with certain credit cards and certain credit cards were not processing in our region. And so like that is such a difference where it's possible that the developer of the plugin, they were doing some stuff and like helping me make some changes and stuff like that. How much time, and, and I'm speculating, how much time were they spending thinking their plugin was having trouble when the vendor was the one having a problem? Because I didn't do anything and, all, and then everything started working again. And so that's all like, that's what WordPress, a vendor, and then a third party from the vendor developer for, for interfacing with the vendor's payment system to interface with WordPress. There's like, you know, there's three hops there at least because God knows what other things those, that plugin uses or what the vendor uses. The vendor might be building, their system might be built on a bunch of stuff, you know? And so that's where, that's where things can get messy. And also that's another thing to note too, is that's where things can, that's another indicator, I guess I should say, where in this particular case, I'm going to be recommending in a future consulting session that we, we add another method of payment as a backup in case something goes wrong. Like, I don't know, PayPal or something, just throwing something out there, something, whatever it is, right? That's what I would write, maybe recommend or another credit card vendor or whatever in Canada, again, hesitating as I'm changing details, but that, that is a proof that, you, you know, when you rely just on one thing, imagine, imagine you relying constantly on a remote, on a remote, meaning like something you don't control a remote third party API, which a lot of things do. That API screws up, the database goes down, one of their server one one server goes down that or one too many servers goes down to handle the load, or one of the raids goes down or something like that, and the storage can't keep up, or maybe they lose some data temporarily and they got to restore from backup. And now your app, which is seemingly unrelated to an extent, or at least unrelated to a consumer who's not tech technical, now can't pull in their data, whatever it is. And that, and that adds a whole other thing. And like Mike said, then you have to do the thing. Oh, I have to reach out to a vendor. I have to reach out to a vendor. And that's, that's honestly what I, what IT does all the time is like a vendor. When I, when I say vendor, it's like a third party offering company. So for example, if you're in networking, your vendor might be Cisco. And so Cisco makes your switches and then you, one of your switches breaks and you're doing exactly what you should be doing for maintenance or you're trying to, you're doing running the X commands to fix the problem and it doesn't work and you've you know, read through the documentation and everything, then you have to engage the vendor. You have to engage Cisco and be like, hey, you know, it says you know, this, this port's down. It says to reset it, I do this. It ain't taking the command. What's going on here? And then Cisco might have to get involved. Maybe you were making a mistake or they might have to get more involved with it. And so then there's that, there's that hop again, right? And God knows, and maybe, there, maybe this information's out there. I haven't confirmed it, but like uh, Cisco, not to get into the weeds, but Cisco switches and stuff uses something called iOS. Yes, I know it's similar to Apple, but they use iOS. God knows if iOS has third-party things in there, you know? And so chances are it's not going to affect it because iOS is pretty rudimentary. It's a switch. We're not getting into the weeds, but the point is there's like our technology is built and built and built and built and built and built and built upon previous generations and previous generations of tech specifically that 
something at the base level or even a few levels down could cause a serious problem. So what you're talking about is like the chain of dependency. And that's a huge aspect in choosing if you're going to be using plugins or not. So if you're building a critical system that the company relies on, not just a website, you're not just building a website that's just a marketing material. You're not just building a web app that their employees are going to use to get their information. You're not just building something that assists them essentially, but you're building a critical system for them to be able to generate income. Um, In that case, like for it to be down for an hour and for them to be out and not be able to generate income and cost thousands of dollars, it's better to you know push for more time and use as little dependency-driven technology as you possibly can. Because I'll, I'll give you an example of what happened. This was a few years ago. Uh, there was a NPM plugin that was used by millions and millions of packages of other plugins. Oh, so it's a dependency. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, you remember this. There was an NPM plugin. It was using millions and millions, like a ma- I would say maybe not a majority, but like a good percentage of all NPM plugins packages were using this plugin. And the developer of it, for whatever reason, I can't remember, there was some sort of drama, uh, pulled it from NPM and it broke every single one of these packages and these some of these packages were powering sites that were like run by microsoft or run by like literally broke critical system across the board like the web the web was hit by one developer deciding to pull their plugin because all these other plugins not only like not only plugins that were directly related to this one but like plugin of a plugin like that that plugin chain like that dependency chain was broken for all these different, all these different like random things that some of them were not even using it really for anything. Uh, but it still, it still can break it because as soon as you build something and it doesn't see it, it could throw an error and not allow you to even build your application. It might be so, in some devs like boilerplate, you know, and even if they weren't exactly. using whatever the plugin that was, then it. And that was the majority of the cases. Like a lot of it was like this plugin wasn't even needed and it broke everything. And because the guy. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and like you have the, you have the consideration like with WordPress, I know we mentioned earlier, but didn't really explain the WordPress thing is that people will just install way too many plugins. And so you start having, you start having these websites that you'll dive into, especially if they're years old or they've been updated over the years where it's just this absolutely massive. And I mean, massive amount of like plugins that are just useless. And on top of the fact that now, now the website is relying on these plugins. Now you could have because there's so many, you can have plugin conflicts. So you can have one plugin needs a light box because it does light boxes in a gallery. Another, another one is also a gallery, but it, it has a slider involved with it. So it needs another light box plugin. Now those two light box plugins are now conflicting because they both like rely on like you clicking on an image. And now you have this problem where it's like, well, how the hell do I fix this? There might be a third plugin that allows you to fix the compatibility. And this is where you start jumping down the rabbit hole. So it's, it's not only if the plugin, if the plugin or third party vendor or whatever it is breaks, it's not that. It's not only that. It's oh, it's also when there's a problem. So it's also when there's a, or a, a problem of too many, I should say, a, a conflict where now you have too many plugins. And now this guy has a light box. You have a light box. Now there's two light boxes opening up and the Z indexes are all screwed up and they both shouldn't be there in the first place. But that one only understands this one because that one has a slider and it, it, it it's visibility hidden or some crazy thing. Like it's all over the damn place. And that that's where having too many plugins in, in WordPress or otherwise can create a similar problem. 
where it's just you're all over the damn place. Word, WordPress is famous for just having randomly like if it has a bunch of pro- if it has a problem, white screen done. That's it. Website doesn't render. It's like, well, here we go. And it also the other thing like when you're choosing to use a plugin or not, or uh, choosing to add a plugin to your production application, the other thing that could really matter is who created that plugin. Because if it's some random person on the internet, that's one thing, right? Like if it's a, just some random person with a GitHub account, uh, that's one level of trust. But if it's the first party developer of the framework that you're using, for instance, Vue.js, they have their own set of plugins that they themselves created, the creators of Vue.js created. For instance, their like state management plugin, Vuex, or their router plugin, their router. Uh, there are first party plugins. I'm much more comfortable to use a first party plugin I wouldn't even consider it sometimes as I'm like, like consciously considering it as I'm, as if I'm using a plugin because it's so trusted. Cause I, again, if Vue.js breaks, then everything kind of go, goes anyway, because I know that they're, that they're keeping up to it, keeping up with it. I'm more confident on it because I've chosen it. But if I'm going to use like right now, I'm looking at my current production project. I'm not going to name any specifics, but I'm using a plugin called Vue Toasted, right? That's the only third-party plugin that I'm currently using, uh, and it all it does is it creates like a a little toast notification, which is essentially like a little light box that comes down from the top or the bottom or the left or the right. And I use it when there's like a networking issue or some or like a, a like a like you know a small a small issue that's happening to alert the user or the the user of the application that there's something wrong. So it's a very small minor system. And that's all, that's what I'm using it for. So as I've become like the more seasoned I've become in, in the development, the less plugins that I've, I've currently started using because I've run into those issues that you were talking about, Matt, like all those things with, uh, you know, third party stuff breaking and like the troubleshooting issue is, is a huge one. Like when something breaks, it's really easy when you've written the code yourself, maybe not easy, but it's a lot easier when you've written the code yourself, if a third party pl- plugin is causing the break, it's very difficult to troubleshoot that. So that takes up time. So again, it's one of those things where it does come with experience, but we're, I'm just trying to tell you as many examples of when or when I don't use plugins and how I got there. And again, there's nothing wrong with using a plugin and then coming back and refactoring and taking that plugin out, putting your own code in. If you're at a really tight timeline and you just need to get something out there. Oh yeah, like you can you can definitely sell a client on that. If they need something out quick, you could say I'm going to fire this all out, and then we'll do phases. Like you can always try to phase out the project. You'd be like phase one, we'll get it running, and then the clients can use it. And then phase two, I'm going to make it more efficient. Blah 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 blah. And you don't want to get into the weeds necessarily with a client if they're non-technical. But you can say I'm going to go through and make it more efficient and do this and do that and make sure it's like has more redundancy or whatever you want to, however you want to word it because you might be like taking out things that rely on the cloud. And so it renders locally. So that's effectively making it more reliable in most cases, because now the local device is rendering whatever it is, instead of some cloud pulling it in and whatever it's doing. So that type of stuff is very important. Yeah, exactly. Um, So I think like, honestly, that, that was my whole intention of this segment. Uh, I do have a little bit more here on actually how to, install a plugin and use a plugin but i think i'm going to skip that actually because now like now that i'm thinking about it clearly uh it doesn't really make sense in a in a like you know only voice kind of setting it's better to read it and see it and it's very specific to your use case as well so it i'm definitely be like, changes per like there's always like five every, yeah. ways to install stuff you can use like the tailwind cli which i did in my one guide or you can use you can use like whatever like in your regular project i'm sure there's ways to do it and god knows that there's a third-party plugin 
to allow you to use Tailwind with whatever you're using in your stack. So, you know, exactly. So, so I think I'm going to skip that part. And what I'm, what I, what I am going to do most likely is create a blog post with some examples of how to install plugins. And I'll have it as like a companion piece to this, uh, to this episode, because it's just a lot easier to display it in actual code blocks and stuff like that. And show. I'm just going to show a few examples. Uh, I'm not going to go too in depth with it, but I'll, I'll also kind of explain how to find it yourself because 99% of the time, the most important thing that you can do with a plugin is reading the documentation. Like I don't, I hardly ever will use like a Google search when I'm actually trying to figure out how a plugin works because the plugin documentation should have everything I need in it. And if it doesn't, I'm not going to use that plugin. And with that, I think I'm going to move on to segment number three is vetting plugins. So actually choosing which plugin to use when you have like a bunch of choices and uh, stuff like that. So when using a plugin in a production environment, there are a lot of considerations to take. For first consideration, and this is a really big one uh, that I wanted to talk about, is is the plugin supported? Uh, so the way to the way to check is literally to go to their GitHub repo. So a lot of plugins are open source, or uh, I mean, I think almost any plugin that I've ever used, other than third party plugins like Stripe or Live Chat, are open source. So you can go in and actually view their code, and not only view their code, you can view when they've updated their their repo last, right? That's a really big portion of it, because if it's something like that, you know, with a security problem that could be there, you want them to be responsive. If you go to a GitHub repo and the last update is five years ago, that's a that's a red flag to me. Now, it's not a red flag for everything. I want to clarify that as well. There are some very established plugins that just don't need to be updated. I don't have any examples of it because I couldn't find any, but I know I've run into that situation before. So that's kind of a your mileage may vary kind of situation. But most of the time, most of the time, if you're going to a GitHub repo and you want to use a plugin and it hasn't been updated in a few years, that's a red flag. I would try to look for something that's been updated recently. The other thing is you want to check the current issues tab. So in the current issues tab, you can see how many issues are open. Now, having a lot of issues open, that could be a good or bad thing in different cases, but that's not necessarily a, uh, a direct reflection of the plugin quality. It could be just like it's used by a lot of people, which is a good thing. And a lot of people have different use cases, which is also a good thing. And they're trying to you know adapt, to, adapt their use case, specific use case to their situation. And it's just a little bit harder and they need it. They need help. So that could be an issue. So but if you're going into the issues tab and there's a lot of issues open and then you go in and you see that there's issues open two months ago without any responses and stuff like that, that's a red flag. That's when you want to get, get, get away from using that thing. If there's no issues open and then you go to the closed issues tab and there's a lot of responses there, that's a good sign. Like that's a sign where you're like, okay, that means that he's closing issues like or they're closing issues like crazy and I don't have to worry about this thing. And I should like, that's when you know you can use a plugin. So that's one thing that I do. Uh, next thing is, does the plugin have any security issues? This one's a little bit more hard, but they have. there has been tools that made it easier. Um, I've noticed whenever I do an NPM install, which is a way of installing all the plugins that, you've, uh, that you need for the application, uh, it'll actually give me some security warnings every time I install. So it'll be like, hey, there's some security issues with this plugin. Maybe you should look into it. Or hey, there's some security issues with whatever. Like it'll it'll give you a very direct security security warning about the plugin or one of the plugin's dependencies, which is great. Now, what you can do with that, uh, not much. You have to kind of wait for the plugin developer to update their their plugin, 
or you have to forcefully update your plugin if they've already done it uh, on their end. So it just gives you that notification that there it might be an issue with one of your plugins, which you can do with what you want to do with. Um, if there's a lot of security issues and you have a very secure, if you have, have a very uh, sensitive application that stores like health data or something like that, then I would go in with a fine tooth comb and make sure none of the issues actually apply to you. So that's, that's the benefit of that. I've also noticed that GitHub has now started sending me emails for my projects that have a dependence that have dependencies. So a package.json file with a bunch of plugins uh, or package lock file. And it'll actually send me an email saying, Hey, there's a couple plugins in your package dependencies that have issues. Go check them out or update them. And that's all I have to do. I just have to go and update them and that, that warning goes away. So a lot of the time that's kind of taken care of for you, but it does require you to be a little bit uh, active on it, a little bit like check, check up on it every once in a while and just make sure you're reading what the NPM install is doing. So last thing here uh, is, is the plugin right for this project? So that's kind of like, should you use a plugin or not? Um, or should you use this plugin specifically or not in terms of does it actually accomplish the task set out with without any modification or, or like without much modification? If you have to go in and rewrite 90% of the plugin, I mean, that's kind of, it's an obvious one, but it is important to understand that you shouldn't be rewriting the plugin completely. Um, now there is, there are situations, for instance, if it's a, a fairly complex plugin and you need to do a certain thing uh, and you need it fast, this is another thing, like you need it fast and you don't want to write something yourself, you can go in there and, and modify it slightly and just get it done fast with the intention and put yourself a to-do to go back and figure out a different solution for that problem. Because you don't want to have it where the plugin has a security issue and you can't update it because you went in and modified the core files. That's that's the issue there. Because if you go in and modify the core files, you can't just run an update. It'll just replace everything for you. And that means that whatever modifications you made are gone. And that and whatever it was helping fix is now broken. So just just keep that in mind. It, it like you know, sometimes there's situations where you might have to go in and change something in the core files just to get it quickly working, but make sure you always go back and fix that. Um, does it do too many other things, adding too much overhead? Like is your uh, lightbox plugin also adding all your notification, like a bunch of notifications. Is there a Lightbox plugin also adding autocomplete for some reason? Like, I don't know. It's just like a, a thing that adds like 15 different functions for whatever reason. Uh, just just an example. If it's adding just too much overhead and it's noticeably like increasing the package size of your application or your website, you notice any it, like slow down, stuff like that. That's when you should consider using a different plugin or writing your own. Is it easy to update? So a lot of the time, this one's kind of easy because if it's an NPM plugin, you just run an NPM install and it'll update for you as long as you've set that up. But if it's kind of a custom plugin or a plugin that's just a Git repo, because there are some of those in very specific situations you're going to run into that don't that aren't on NPM or Yarn or whatever, not on a package manager, those are a little bit difficult to update and therefore you're probably not going to be motivated to update them. So there could be issues there. Just keep that in mind. Does it conflict with any of your current framework or other plugins? Like, is your plugin going to rewrite the, the templating scheme of your website? And if you're using Vue, then it's going to conflict with your the templating themes of Vue. Like, the Vue has its own way of rewriting templates. So that can happen very easily. 
but you just have to be mindful that you're not overwriting your current plugins or your framework. So with that, like those are the kinds of tools that I want to put in your hands to be able to have to fix, to find the right plugin, to choose when to use a plugin and stuff like that. And just keep in mind, it's not a, you know, there's no science really to it. It is a very instinctive process where you know, okay, this one, this should be a plugin. This should not be. And when you just get into the weeds of too many plugins, that's when you know you have to go back and refactor. I have a, I have an additional thing as well to add to the, is this plugin right for the project? Um, does the plugin do too much for you to do? So if the plugin is say an Instagram thing that like some sort of official Instagram plugin that automatically pulls in Instagram uh, posts from an account that you choose, obviously why would you interface with Instagram when it already relies on Instagram itself? So you might as well use the Instagram plugin if that, if that was a thing that exists for your particular project, you're not going to make your own Instagram and you're certainly not going to make your own sort of photo storage thing that pulls from Instagram to store it. And you know, ridiculous. So if the actual plugin is utilizing a service that requires a full-time job or a full-time team, then absolutely use it. There's a reason why people use payment vendors. There's a reason why people use different, e-commerce plugins for WordPress. And that's because there's no way you can keep up with all the different security things, all the different laws of different countries on how to process credit cards, all the different payment options that are available in certain regions, the different cards that can be processed. If there's any sort of withholding fees, if there's taxes, if there's all that, there's no way you can do that. And then also just by the way, be a full-time, you know, full stack dev or a full-time front-end dev or whatever you are and just constantly build your own skills it's not going to work so if that plugin is doing too much for you to handle then that's also a piece of piece of the pie where you're like yeah i'm going to do this if a, if a client asks us to implement e-commerce into a site i uh, i'm immediately reaching for shopify i'm immediately reaching for which we've never actually used we've, we've offered that a few times to clients and, and that hasn't panned out but or something that plugs directly into their wordpress or something that like Stripe, something like that, anything, any of those, Shopify, whatever. I'm sure there's tons out there, but I'm reaching for a plugin because I don't know all the security protocols. I don't know all the credit card laws. I don't know how to encrypt a credit card securely. I don't know how to store a credit card if you're even supposed to. See, I like, don't know. So those type of things needs a professional that has their ear to the ground when credit card regulations and monetary regulations and money changing hands, when those regulations in terms of the actual laws change or when a new hack comes out and they need to patch that hack or fix that hack or make sure that they're not vulnerable to that vulnerability. So that that requires a full-time job, if not a full-time team. And Mike and I are not equipped to do that because we're more of a general thing. Someone comes to us with a project, we put it together, we build it out to an extent and we give it to them. We're not a person that goes like, yeah, we know all about the encryption of credit card numbers. Let me just get that like code on the back. Oh, your, your country doesn't have codes on the back of your credit cards? What are you talking about? See, like, well, I don't know. I have no idea. So just a brief little little tidbit there. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so I think we'll move on to the web news uh, if uh, unless Mike has anything else to add there. Uh, so web news, once again, uh, Apple versus WordPress. Now I have a couple of, 
have a couple of different uh, articles here. One's from The Verge, and it kind of uh, describes the situation itself a little bit more uh, than the second article, which is The Conclusion, which is a more recent development. I think it was a day or two ago, something like that. Um, so the first, like I said, first article is from The Verge. Second article uh, is, from the, is from Business Insider. So this basically... So the headline reads, I'm just going to read the headline of the Verge article. So WordPress founder claims that Apple claims Apple cut off updates to his completely free app because it wants 30%. Uh, so to kind of dive into this a bit, uh, basically the iOS app, the Android, sorry, the WordPress, too many words, the WordPress iOS app lets you uh, build and manage a website on your iPhone or your iPad. This is all, this is all done for free. Uh, Obviously, WordPress.com also has is, is sort of like the commercial side of the business. It has things like domain names for sale and fancier website packages, those type of things. Now, I might butcher his name, and I apologize. Uh, not the first name, obviously, because we have the same first name. <laughs> so the founder or the, the founding developer, Matt Mullenweg, I hope it's not Mullenwedge. I'm not sure. I apologize if I'm saying it incorrectly. But the WordPress founding developer, Matt Mullenweg, uh, is, uh, is accusing Apple of cutting off the ability uh, to update the app, the WordPress app, until or unless he adds in-app purchases. And then, and I'm quoting, this is a whole quote from the Verge article. So, so the most valuable company in the world can extract its 30% cut of the money. And there's a tweet embedded in this article that reads, this is by Matt Mullenwedge, that says, I realize I am keep going back and forth between the two <laughs> the two pronunciations, but whatever. Uh, this tweet says, heads up on why at WordPress iOS updates have been absent were locked by the App Store. To be able to ship updates and bug fixes again, we had to commit to support in-app purchases for .com plans. I know, uh, I know why this is problematic. Open to suggestions. Uh, allow others IAP, new name. So asking a couple questions at the end there. So the iOS app on iOS, or the... I keep, come on, the WordPress app on iOS doesn't actually sell anything. Uh, there were, there was like sort of a, sort of a rigmarole, rigmarole way to find some stuff that was for sale. So like there was technically a way to get into, you know, if you, if you like dug into, uh, dug into support pages or if you navigated to the WordPress site uh, from a preview of the, of your own web page, then you could find out like, Oh, wordpress.com has plans and has a premium thing. And that, that's a big thing. So that's why I brought that up is because you're not really supposed to be. So for example, like obviously Apple takes their cut, I think it's 15 to 30%. Um, Apple will take, Apple takes their cut. Uh, they, if you say uh, offer your subscription and you have to subscribe on the website only, in your app, you can't say, please go to netflix.com or please go to x.com or please go to service, whatever it is.com and subscribe. You either subscribe in the app using the Apple payment process so that they're able to, you know, take their percentage or, or you, you just basically have an app and it just says you have to be a subscriber and, and it's that kind of thing. And then you can't actually direct them to, to whatever service.com you have to actually go into it. So now a couple, a couple more quotes from this Verge article here. Um, it says, now, Apple has admitted, this is a quote for again from the from Verge article, Apple has admitted to The Verge that it's involved, uh, that it is involved, reminding us that in-app purchases are required whenever apps, quote, allow users to access content, subscriptions, or features that they have acquired in your app on other platforms or your website. And that is almost up for interpretation, kind of. 
like it's a little bit oh like it's not it's not up for interpretation in that like yes that is like you know something that is in the guidelines but it's like it's this is starting confusing. to get muddy like the waters are getting muddy now i will say there, there was a conclusion to this situation uh and this is uh from business insider you know a few days later or whatever and they did say that apple apologized i'm just taking the they have like a bit of a cole's note section of business insider articles so it says here that apple apologized after trying to force wordpress to add in-app payment options to a free app wordpress's founder said friday that apple was refusing to allow any updates to wordpress ios app until the website builder added in-app purchases from which apple takes a commission of 15 to 30 percent and uh, then it mentions the Fortnite whole Fortnite story with the app store type of thing but basically uh, apple has issued an apology and is allowing uh, updates to happen again and there's a there's another tweet from matt millenweg here that says i'm very grateful that folks at apple re-reviewed at wordpress ios and have let us know that we that we do not need to implement in-app purchases to be able to continue to update the app bad news travels faster than good usually so please consider sharing that they reverse course now there is something a little bit weird in here and i'm gonna try to find it again so it says um there is a thing here that states let me try to find it Yes. So uh, it says, okay, this is in quotes. We believe the issue with the WordPress app has been resolved. Apple told The Verge since the developer removed the display of their service payment options from the app. It is now a free standalone app that does not have to offer in-app purchases. We have informed the developer and apologized for any confusion that we may have caused. Now, what's weird is, and here's, here's where the interpretation part comes in that I mentioned earlier is that they knew about like Matt, right. Knew about the potential, like you could get into the service pages and find out that they were free things. And he offered, as it says in this verge article, he offered to remove those and Apple, Apple refused that solution. And then now all of a sudden it's like, Oh, they removed this banner. So it's unclear to me, because I didn't see it in the tweet or anything, it's unclear to me what banner they were talking about. Like, were their support pages taken away? Was this a mistake? And so I think this is getting a lot more press because of this whole Fortnite situation and because we're talking about this whole 30% thing. And so this is kind of what I want to use to drive the, conver- drive the conversation. Um, I, these two articles are obviously from The Verge and from, the, from Business Insider. Of course, they're going to be linked in the show notes as well. Um, I tried to pull as many quotes from the article just to make sure we had the accurate information uh, as of these articles writings. So I want to kind of discuss this. Like I want to like tinfoil hat. Okay. Tinfoil hat, total speculation, you know, conspiracy level. Apple wanted them to just straight up offer, offer services because it's well known that wordpress.com offers, plans and offers bloggers a way to effectively pay for, you know, premium things and uh, what do you call it? Uh, Domains and stuff like that. That's, that's tinfoil hat territory because we're talking about a very, very valuable company, very, very rich company. And realistically they don't need the WordPress money. So that's why it's sort of like, Hmm, like, you know, that's kind of weird. Because Apple issued an apology, it's completely it's completely possible that the person reviewing the app made a mistake. It's completely possible that there was just an, an, a, a misinterpretation of the guidelines. Because, like I said, this is another thing about the interpretation. So, 
reading that quote again, it says Apple admitted to the verge that it's involved reminding us that in-app purchases are required whenever apps quote, allow users to access content subscriptions or features that, that they have acquired in your app on other platforms or your website. So is that like, unless I'm misreading that, doesn't that sound like as if, if you went and subscribed to Netflix, and I'm just making up a situation about Netflix. If you went to go and subscribe to Netflix on Netflix website, and then you download the app and you sign in, isn't that technically demanding an in-app purchase when you read that thing again? Again, allows users to access content. So that would be like a Netflix movie, subscriptions or features that they have acquired in your, in your app. Okay. So you're watching Netflix in the app on other platforms or your website. So why is why are why are all these other apps Netflix and the other a bunch of other webs the other bunch of other services included? Why are you allowed to go sign up on another service and then come back and have the uh, have the app, you know, access your uh, the um I've never used it myself so I can't confirm this for sure but I've heard that the Audible app on iOS is literally just a library. You sign in and your library is there and that's it. You can't purchase. You can't browse. Uh, again, have, having not confirmed that myself, isn't this piece of the guidelines being broken then? So like, like what's going on here? Like, this is what I don't, I don't understand. Like, so this statement makes the tinfoil hat thing. It gives, it gives it a bit of like evidence, circumstantial evidence, but then them apologizing takes it away a little bit because it's like, oh, they may have just made a mistake and companies make a mistake. And they, you know, they resolved it within a reasonable amount of time. It wasn't like six and a half years <laughs> that they were sitting on this. Obviously this was resolved within a reasonable amount of time. So, cause this, this first article was written on August 21st and then the sort of conclusionary article on the business insider was written on August 24th. So totally, you know, handled within, you know, normal business support type of thing. So I don't, I don't know how to feel about this. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, That's exactly why I was hesitating because I wanted to make sure I wrote, I said everything and we're not reporters, so I'm not used to this, but it's like, I want to make sure I say everything. I got all as many quotes as I can. And then like half the stuff sounds like tinfoil hat, but then there's like, like, is, is, is this like, just Apple making a mistake and then that's it? Like that could be the whole thing. And then that's it. Oh, sorry guys, screwed up. So to be honest, that statement that you were just saying, um, about not being allowed to allow your users to access content that they've subscribed to in or outside of your app. I don't know where that's from. So, okay. So I'll explain that. So that quote is actually linked is it, it is a link in the verge article. And when I open that link, it take it takes me to the Apple store review guidelines on developer.apple.com. Yeah. And does, does it have it in there? I didn't directly? check that. Um, I'm just going to quickly allow, I'm, I'm just, just going to yeah, double check left. that because like what, like what you're saying, I, to, to my eyes, that means that no one can multi-platform services app apps that operate across multi-platforms may allow users to access content subscriptions or features they have acquired in your app or other website, including consumable items in multi-platform games provided by those items. Those items are also available as in-app purchases within the app. Including consumable items in multi provided those items are also available as in you must not directly or indirectly target iOS users to use a purchasing method other than an in-app purchase 
and your general communications about other purchases methods must not discourage use of in-app purchases. Right. And, and that's from just to clear, clear the thing there. That's from the Apple store guidelines. 3.3 point, sorry, 3.1.3 point B multi-platform services. So this is, this is a, I, it's I don't, confusing. I, I don't get it. Yeah, like, this is confusing. It, you know what it kind of sounds like to me? And like, maybe this is the truth is it, it, a lot of this stuff just kind of sounds like a license agreement where, you know what I mean? There's a whole bunch of crap in there, but like, I'm sure a bunch of us are, are like accidentally breaking small points in our like license agreements or our like uh, terms of service that we agree to all the time. And it's only if you have a major thing, like if you straight up said when the app opened, go to wordpress.com and buy our packages, the app will be like, nope, over. Makes sense. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't, I, mean, under, if, I don't if, understand to be honest, this though. I, I literally, yeah, I don't understand. I don't understand how they can do that. Like, because there are plenty of examples of apps that don't, you don't purchase from inside of iOS. Like, um, I'm not sure if Netflix is the case anymore. I believe recently Netflix and Spotify have been offered a lo- lesser cut. And I don't think, I don't know if Apple's confirmed this or not, but I've heard rumors of 15%. Well, I do know, I do know that there's some sort of, uh, 15% deal. So there's, I'm just yes. reading a very small thing here, but it says, um, yesterday, this is a quote from the Verge article again. So yesterday, a group of major news publishers, uh, banded together to ask why Amazon and not them should, should get a sweetheart deal that allows the giant e-tailer to pay 15% instead of 30% for prime video. Yes, exactly. So that's a weird exemption. You know what I mean? And I believe the whole Epic Games Fortnite deal started because they wouldn't give them that exemption either. So I mean, I, that, I that's also I think that's also speculation. It's it's pure speculation, hundred percent pure speculation. But I've heard that there is a rumor going around that there are emails circulating where Tim Sweeney, which is the CEO of Epic, mm-hmm. emailed Tim Cook, uh, CEO of Apple, and asked him for that sweetheart deal. And I believe the response was no. And Tim Sweeney obviously did not take it very well and did a kamikaze attack into Apple. Um, whether it's going to work out for him or not is still up in the air. But for now, it's looking like Apple is probably going to be the victor of this thing because they you know, purposely defied their terms of service. The only thing that I think Tim Sweeney is hoping for is regulations in the EU to force Apple to change their 30% cut. Um, so it's really complicated. I, I agree with you that this really weird statement is really weird, but you I mean, also like the think thing in the guidelines, the thing in the guidelines is weird. That, Cause uh, I don't understand. Like don't, doesn't, I mean, there's, there's a whole bunch of guidelines here. So we, there might be one that's exempting them or there might be one that is saying like, Oh, you don't mention it at all. So don't worry about it. But like, doesn't this say like apps that operate across multiple platforms may allow users to access content, that's good, subscriptions or features that they've acquired on your app on other platforms or your website. Fair enough, right? Including consumable items in multi-platform games provided, here's the, here's the caveat though, provided those items are also available as in-app purchases within the app. Now there's more to that, but like, doesn't that yeah, sound it, it, like it, if you go to, yes. uh, if, you, if you went, if you, if we had an HTML, the thing subscription for our, you, I don't know, our own YouTube thing, if it was closed to the public, like a Netflix and you went to HTML, things.com and bought a subscription and then came back. 
you wouldn't be allowed to log in. That, and use that's that what I don't understand. Like, isn't that a feature? Or see, the in-app consumable thing makes sense. Like I've seen it in Fortnite because you used to play Fortnite quite a bit. And I've seen it in Fortnite where like you'd buy some V-Bucks in like on the PlayStation store. And then if you go to play on other platform, those V-Bucks that you bought are not there. But the V-Bucks that you earned naturally in the game without paying are across platforms. Now, I've only tried across a couple of platforms. I don't think I even tried on iOS, to be clear. I've only tried Android and PlayStation but uh, and PC. But that's the big question. Like, man, this is... Yeah, it's weird. Because, because I, I get it, though, because it's like you'd be able to log into the PC app of whatever it is of like an app of like a game you buy all the currency there because it might be cheaper because there's no markup because of the 30% assuming that you're allowed to have that markup. And then you come back to the app store, you download the app and you log in and now you've effectively gotten a discount potentially just by going to another platform. And then Apple is missing out on their money. Yep. But Apple also doesn't allow you to increase the cost I don't, we've never purchases. confirmed that though. I I I, I have looked it up. I couldn't I couldn't find anything on the, that. I did look I'm that up. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that's referenced in the goods or services outside of the app thing, where you can't or or actually because you, you YouTube premium YouTube premium does you not discourage the use of in-app purchase. Oh well, no, that I don't think that discourages like like that would think, that would that, that would be how, like saying don't buy V bucks here and then not saying anything else. I know, but how Apple has gone after companies that did that is by using that term where you're discouraging people for purchasing inside of Apple because you're making it cheaper outside of everywhere else. I tried, I, I did else. honestly try to find that because I, I knew that this would come up and I couldn't, I couldn't find it even for the last episode that we talked about Apple now. I couldn't find a case unless I was searching the wrong thing. The only case I did find was that YouTube premium, I believe it was, or YouTube Red at the time or whatever it is, was more money in the Indian app store than it was if you bought it on a computer. So again, I don't know whether that's a like region specific thing, like whether they don't care region specific, but I couldn't find. And I remember years ago and having not confirmed this myself, I remember years ago, people telling me specifically not to buy Netflix in the app store to buy it on my PC. When, because when we actually went to college in the beginning, no one had a Netflix subscription and then like, not dating ourselves a bit. And then, a year or two in Netflix started becoming really like a thing. It, it was a thing when we went to college, but it wasn't, it had like not that great of movies and then it got big and then everyone started buying it. And again, I never confirmed that myself, but I do, I was told that by people. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll take a look at it in a little bit, but the other thing that I want to mention is the WordPress thing. I believe that was a mistake as much as because they apologized, the right? I don't think it's because they apologize. I think it's literally because they thought WordPress was doing something that they weren't doing. I think it was literally just a misunderstanding of the application. Well, the, the one, the people... one caveat is though, is why did they apologize and then, and then say that, that something was removed? And then that thing that was, that was allegedly removed wasn't, wasn't, wasn't confirmed in any of these articles. Like they were like, you know, they said like, we believe the issue with WordPress with the WordPress app has been resolved since the developer removed the display of their service payment options from the app. It is now a free standalone app and does not offer in-app purchases. We have informed the developer and apologized for the confusion. So did they actually hide those articles and then like, damn, that did actually fix it? You know, those articles where they refused the solution the first time or is it, so, is it what? This is the, this is going to be a dumb question. What is the WordPress app? What do you mean? It allows you to, to manage your website. It allows you to manage your website. So it's not 
it's not WordPress.com related. It's WordPress.org related. I think there was a confusion between WordPress.com and WordPress.org. No, yeah, no, there, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Because WordPress.com is the thing that would that you could buy a you know a plan and create a website from inside. WordPress.org doesn't really have like I mean it has some content like to buy. I think it has, it has like, like plugins you can purchase hosting. or something. Yeah, and plugins, but it doesn't have um Does it have hosting? I don't it, think it has hosting, does it? I think it has hosting. Well, too. I've yeah, only ever downloaded it and then just installed oh, it. No, on no, it doesn't. You're right. You're right. It doesn't. It just gives you an example of what hosts you can. WordPress.com does Absolutely. does like WordPress.com is for people that are like, I want to start a blog tonight. So you just go to WordPress.com, so, pay for your package you want, and then you're off to the races. So I think it was literally the person that was reviewing it typed in WordPress into Google, went to WordPress.com, is like, what the hell is this? There's plans and pricing in here. There's plans like they they just went and saw that there's a bunch that's of a good, purchases that's a good point, that you can honestly. make. That is a good point. Cause and uh none of that is reflected in the application. And like you can log into the application and you can log into WordPress.com, but those are two completely separate things. And the, but the person reviewing it didn't understand that. But it is it are they pulling from that one point then though? Because technically speaking you weren't allowed to like even if they got like WordPress org and wordpress.com confused are they pulling from that thing where they're like hey like you're allowed to buy stuff here so when somebody buys something on wordpress.com they're they they thought oh you're allowed to access your website on wordpress ios and therefore i therefore you're purchasing something for use in the app somewhere else therefore cannot be allowed see that 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 one guideline is a really sticky point in my brain yes it's a very it's a very weird point because to me, again, having not read all the guidelines, so maybe not the greatest source, but it's like, doesn't that point immediately, like, immediately disqualify a bunch of apps in the App Store? I think so, and I, I believe Apple is just keeping it in its pocket for a lot of those apps. Like Apple is just pretending to be the good guy, but then as soon as those apps would, you know, step out of line or something, they can easily drop the ban hammer on them because they have that one line. I think personally. Uh, they had, there's a lot of lawsuits coming up against Apple for this exact reason. I think they're going to have to clarify that exact point to be a lot more robust in their, in their definition. But I don't think they're going to, I don't think these lawsuits are going to make Apple change. Right. Again, unless regulations are actually passed where it doesn't allow, but I I just don't see it happening. I think honestly, nothing's going to change. Epic's still going to not be able to put their app on the app store. Um, they're they're kind of boned. Well, no, I think, they, they I think App, Apple has said that like it, it they are welcome back if they if they if they yeah, fix if, the, if, if they, they fix fall. The I mean, like they're not going to be able to like put their own app store on Apple because that's the, their end goal is to have a gaming store like their Epic Game Store to be on. Which Apple. doesn't make which doesn't actually make any sense to me because they did try something similar, not a store, but they did try something similar ish with on Android, and then they sort of quote unquote caved. And went on to Google Play. So they, I don't know if they caved or not. I, I don't know exactly know what happened, but I do know the driving factor for them to go on Google Play was uh, the fact that a lot of people were downloading malware instead of that app. Oh, because people were just sending them links and being oh. like, "Hey, just download it from here," because it wasn't through the Play Store. So I believe it was an agreement between uh, Google and Epic of some sort, probably some sort of a cost thing, like. Someone had to play play ball to get them on the app store to understand that like this is a security issue more than anything right now. Like you can't do this because it's a security issue. Um, but now they've been kicked off there as well. So GG, I guess. Like what I'm saying is I don't think Epic's going to win anything here. I believe that they just kamikazed into a, into a wall 
and it's just gonna it's just gonna hurt them rather than help them. I think I don't think it was the right move, if that makes sense. I not to say that they're not wrong, like not to say that they're not right, and that there shouldn't be more, you know, compatible. Like there shouldn't be more regulations, or there shouldn't be more um, systems in place inside of these like closed gardens that allow you to have some sort of control over your own content, a little bit more control. Uh, but I don't think that the way they went about it was the right way to actually get results. So I actually found the how Netflix gets around it, I think, in the in the thing as well. And I also have a question as well. Can you look up? Oh, my whole I don't know what the heck's going on here. My, uh, my browser keeps freezing up. But like, OK, so there's a reader app. There's a reader app thing. OK, so it says here this is 3.1.3 part A reader apps. This is in the App Store guidelines. And it says, apps may allow a user to access previously purchased content or content subscriptions, specifically magazines, newspapers, books, audio, music, video, access to professional databases, VoIP, cloud storage, and approved services such as classroom management apps, provided that you agree not to directly or indirectly target iOS users to use a purchasing method other than in-app purchase, and your general communications about the purchasing methods are not designed to discourage use of in-app purchase. That's how they do it, right there. That's how they do it. Okay, so there is a regulation specifically for that. That type, that, those, those gaming, type of use cases. Gaming does not apply. No, because there's, I mean, again, I'm flipping through a bunch of the pages here, and my browser keeps freezing up, but there's an unacceptable thing where it says, creating an interface, this is 3.2.2, unacceptable, part I, Creating an interface for displaying third-party apps, extensions, or plugins similar to the App Store or as a general interest collection. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. I and don't that, know. That, that's I, considered I, unacceptable. So, I mean... See, like, this is, this is where, like, this is where stuff... And I'm trying to find out... Can you look up? Like, I can't find out what that WordPress iOS... Is it for org or is it for, because I want to know if that was, that was for, like, I want to know if that was for org or was it for .com, the iOS app? I, I know. I, I believe it's for dot, dot .org. I, I think, like, I think you're right. It's the, it's the app that lets you manage your website. Right. It's just the WordPress app, literally the app that WordPress, open source WordPress designed for managing your website. It's probably just it's probably just a web app to be honest. It's not nothing to like. It's just a wrapper like Cordova wrapped or something like that. WordPress for Android supports self-hosted sites running WordPress 4.0 and later, and all sites at WordPress.com. Just like WordPress, WordPress for Android is open source. Now, again, that's the Android version, but presumably the iOS. I don't have an iPhone in front of me, so the iOS is uh, similar. So that see see now that even gives Apple that's why I wanted to confirm that that actually gives Apple more credits. Where For where it's like they could have well or? no well the like what I'm saying is it gives them more more credit toward the idea that they just made a mistake and they backed off because yes. because yeah. assuming the iOS app does the .dot com and the i and the self hosted, that's where mm. the confusion comes in because then it's like wait a second here .dot com what's going on here. Yep. So, and, and I, I'll be the first to admit that like, there's been a few times cause I don't download WordPress all that often, but there's been a few times where I go to download WordPress and I go to wordpress.com not thinking. And then I'm like, where Same. the hell is WordPress? Same multiple times. So I, I think that was the mistake, um, that they made and it's not, it's nothing more than that. 
Uh, but it is like, you know, in, in, in light of all the other stuff that Apple is facing right now, it is kind of shitty of them to do and make that mistake. Um, Although, like, again, it was handled within a, a so few big. days, you yeah. know, and it was handled it was handled a few days. There was an apology and everything's good to go. So it's not like as if there's a big lawsuit happening with these people or there's a big fight or it's been six months or anything. It was a few days. Totally acceptable response. Lots of speculation out there with your tinfoil hats, but. This Reddit, this Reddit comment, I'm going to end with this, uh, is really good. If you're a tech firm and you're fighting with developers who want to use your technology to bring more users to your platform, you know there's something, something isn't right. Like if you're, if you're trying to prevent people from using your technology to benefit your technology, then you're you're doing something wrong. Like so there there was a mistake being made, which is what we think. I think at this yeah, point, yeah, it was just it was just an honest or, mistake, or, and there was an honest yeah, resolution. I think it was an honest mistake. That's it. But or there's something seriously wrong in your organization in terms of like you know management and stuff like that. Because obviously you want people to be able to use these applications and be able to better your ecosystem. Because not there's no negative of allowing WordPress on your on your store. Like it's not taking money away from no, you. but that's why it has to be a mistake. The thing is, is like to talk to that Reddit comment, the value that WordPress, WordPress iOS adds to the app store in terms of giving, getting more people to buy iPhones, which is Apple's like goal among others is they don't, they don't have the value proposition. There's a reason why Fortnite is, is going to be welcomed back if the, if it's fixed because Fortnite brings in a lot of money, right? Like, that's my again that's my opinion and that's my speculation but well it's a deciding factor when you're buying a phone so if you're a kid that wants to play Fortnite on this phone you can't buy at this point in time you would not buy an iPhone but how many so how many people would would not buy a phone cuz they can't use the WordPress app no not many exactly right. so there, like there isn't a value proposition right, yeah. there so like to fight yeah, because you could easily just do it on even through the browser if you wanted to you know what that's I mean that's the thing like, exactly not, that's exactly it it's, yeah it's not the it's not the most important thing in the world, but it is, again, it is, it is easier to use the app for the most part, but Fortnite does have a much, a bigger advantage in terms of like, it could be, it could sell less iPhones because of that decision. Like it has that opportunity. IPads like too, Fortnite yeah. is big. Fortnite is really big. And a lot of kids are the new users that Apple needs to, uh, to continue growing. Because again, like we talked about a few weeks ago, no one cares about how many iPhones they've sold right now. They care about how many iPhones are going to be selling. That's how all stock, you know, prices measured is in potential, right? So they need Apple needs to continue to grow. Now they're doing a great job at that. All, all like all public companies and all companies in general yes, kind of like want to grow. All public companies, period, need to need to continue to grow to to be able to maintain uh, their stock price and not. You know, if if you're if you're a public company that posts the same result over and over and over again, your your stock price is going to go down. It's just yeah, dev- developers, investor, er, developers, investors want uh, want yeah. growth for the most part. So so again, this could impact Apple in that way because I, I I think first of all, emerging markets like to play games on their phones. That's that's a fact. Uh, like China, uh, India, all that like. F- Game like games on their phones is huge there, um, so that's a big factor. And obviously, Fortnite is a pretty big one as well. And whatever other game that Epic makes. Now, did you hear just final little 
topic here. Did you hear that they tried to ban the Unreal Engine, any game that's using the Unreal Engine, which is Epic's Well, that, that that's engine. because that's because they wanted to get rid of their developer account or whatever. They want to get rid of Epic's yes. developer agreement or whatever that's called. Yeah, they wanted to get rid of all of Epic's and so, stuff, and which, so which would have affected, like, be affected. which would have affected a lot of games, including stuff like Angry Birds and stuff. So all those games would have been off the App Store. <laughs> that would have been crazy. So well, a judge there's actually another, came in. There's another thing that, there, there, there's yeah. another reason why Apple would want to bring Fortnite back. That's what I mean. Like, Apple... Sh- in my opinion, Apple should make a sum. Like, I'm surprised that there wasn't a deal made. I, I don't know why Tim Cook wouldn't have been like, okay, sure, twenty percent. Like, it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense to me. If if the speculation is correct that there were emails passed between them, and that's why this is all happening, it doesn't make any sense to me why Tim Cook wouldn't have just made a deal with them because they're such a big. It, game. it could be because of the engine, though. It's because Epic needs their engine to be used, and therefore Epic has an invested interest in being on the platform even with the 30% because even before Fortnite, they would, they would have been offering the engine to these, to the, you know what I mean? I guess. Yeah. But like, again, like why would Apple refuse them a lower cut? If their threat was, we want to like, we'll, we'll leave the store. Like it doesn't, you know what I mean? Like it's either you make $0 or you make a lot of money and no one's going to question why Epic got it. And no, like, why Epic, Amazon, and like Netflix gets it and a small little dinky company doesn't get it because obviously volume at scale is more important than uh, small dinky, dinky companies that don't bring in any money pretty much. So it's just, I feel like there's there's a missing piece to this. It's pro- Some of it's probably ego, ego-driven more than anything else because we know that Tim Cook is some, or like Apple in general is someone that holds grudges pretty hard. Um, the Intel... Or the NVIDIA grudge has been held for six years or seven years now. I don't know anything about that, Which, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, there was uh, there was a problem with NVIDIA uh, graphics cards. Apple got in a huge fight with NVIDIA. Jesus. Like, massive fight. Uh, and then at the end was like literally Tim Cook, I think, was saying, we'll never use your graphics cards again. And now they're stuck using AMD graphics cards. Now AMD graphics cards aren't terrible, but NVIDIA graphics cards are considerably better. But they will ref- they refuse to even go into the negotiating table with NVIDIA because of what happened like six years ago or seven years ago, even though their technology is significantly better. So it, it, there is like a, an ego thing at Apple, hundred um, percent. But it's not just driven in, by in, money. In everyone's defense, like or not defense, but in in to add salt to the in all these situations, there's definitely a lot of stuff we don't see. Like yes. Nvidia could have told Apple off, you know, but or, no, I'm or, sure they did. But that, or, no, but like that, or Apple could have did the same. Like we don't know what the situation yeah. was. We only see the sort of the fallout of all these situations, right? Like you're like you're talking about yeah. rumored emails about trying to get a deal. There could have been one email sent, no answer. Could have been a total mistake, and that could have been it. Could have been fifty yeah. emails and an intentional like, not going to answer you. You know, we don't know what yeah. happened, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. And and like there's a human factor to everything. Like we all like to think that companies are only dealing with numbers and stuff like that, but um there's human factor. So that that's probably what what caused all this and hopefully hopefully it gets resolved because obviously we want all platforms to be competitive with each other. I don't know. We'll see. Um, I think that's it, though. Yeah, we've. I don't know if we've you have talked, anything else yeah, to add. Yeah, we've we've gone on many tangents. Many tangents. Well, <laughs> well, not 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 too far off. Like, I mean, this is a big Apple conversation. Uh, yep. I mean, I'm sure we could have similar conversations. Maybe not about app stores, but similar conversations about Microsoft or something. You know, all these big companies have 
situations that they deal with in whatever situation or in, in certain ways that maybe some people agree with, some people do not. Um, but I, I do agree with you. I think it's time to run the old conclusion. I'm starting to get a headache. I haven't eaten yet today. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So again, all these links are going to be in the show notes. I'm going to include a link to the Apple store guidelines as well, just to FYI for everyone who cares to click on those links and check them out. But remember we all, or, uh, I'd like to thank, excuse me, our, our $3 tier patrons, Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript. Find him at youtube.com slash rabbitworks JavaScript. Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design. Find him at localpathcomputing.com. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital. Find him at blueblackdigital.com. Chris from Self-Made Web Designer. Find him at selfmadewebdesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker. Find him at thewebhacker.com. DL Ford from dlford.io. And Bib Hashdash from Twitter via Bib Hashdash. Feel free to leave a comment or review on the platform. You're listening to this on. And I'm going to let this outro sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things, signing off.